Hey, good morning and welcome to the Mount. I wanna welcome you wherever you're watching from. Can I just tell you how honored I am to be able to lead you today and to serve your family in this way? Hey, do something for me before we go any further. Breathe in. Breathe out. Come on again. Breathe in. Breathe out. One last time. Breathe in. And breathe out. Hey, can we all admit we are walking in the middle of some very emotional days. And emotion brings such weight. We just gotta release it right now on this day. And let's do this. Let's draw into the Lord together this morning and let's, let's draw into his word today. Hey, if you have a Bible, turn with me to Acts chapter 13. It's in the New Testament. If you need to look it up, you can do that. But Acts chapter 13, turn there with me. Listen, last fall, I began a series, I taught through a series called Don't Miss Your Moment. And what we spent our fall season was walking through Acts, Acts chapter one, all the way through verse 12. If you were here and you remember, Acts is the story of the church, how the church began and how the church took uh, momentum as they move forward in faith. I want us to be reminded of that because there's some details here in this book of Acts that we're gonna continue and pick up with as we begin again in Acts back in 13 and move forward. Now, if you're new to the Bible, let me give you a little bit of timeline. We believe the timeline of Acts is that Jesus has already lived on the earth for 33 years. He's already died on the cross. He's already been buried, rose again, and he has now ascended up into heaven. And this is kind of where we're gonna begin with this early church movement. Because what's gonna happen is there's gonna be a Sunday called Pentecost Sunday. And on that Sunday of Pentecost, in the book of Acts, the Holy Spirit is gonna be given as a gift to the church, to the believers. On that Sunday, come on, they went from 120 believers to adding to 3,000 more people in that one moment alone. Interesting detail, last Sunday was Pentecost Sunday. What could God do? What could God say to us over these summer months as we lead in to the book of Acts? Now, here's where I want you to pay attention to. While this church begins to grow and the believers begin to go deeper in their faith and walking in a, in a more faithful way with Jesus and the Holy Spirit, I want you to see something that happens because their faith, their families, their lives gets interrupted with persecution and attack against the church. Even one of their members, Stephen, is taken away from the church and has put to death by stoning of rocks against his body and against his life. And there was this guy Saul there, standing over that moment, giving approval. Now, why do I start back there to get us ready for verse 13 or chapter 13? It's this, it's this. Listen to what it says in Acts chapter eight, verse one. It says that on that day, a great persecution 
broke out against the church in Jerusalem and all except the apostles were scattered. Scattered, come on, can, can you see that? This word scattered in the original language is the word diaspora. Diaspora, it means to scatter abroad, but we get the English word disperse. I want you to kind of understand that. I want you to see that. Now to break up the word into two parts, the word dia actually means to go through, to go through. And the spara part of that word means to scatter, but it's kind of like sowing seed. So here's this incredible crisis that's fallen on them and they're gonna go through it by scattering out. I want us to see that. I want us to begin to realize that motion, that movement. I would say it this way, that church was forced to pivot. Pivot is the title of this new teaching series that we're gonna be spending some of our summer days on. And this idea of pivot is extremely, I think an extremely important word for us as we continue to follow God. Now, let me share it this way, because I believe God wants to do the same thing through us this summer. As we begin 2020, I don't know if it was the number, beginning a new year, beginning a new decade, but there was so much expectation in this year alone. I think everybody kind of had some dreams, had some hopes, had some plans, and then COVID-19 hit our lives. And I'm telling you, a lot of the hopes, a lot of the dreams, a lot of the plans have now what? Ended up on the cutting floor when we got hit with the unexpected. And, and, And then we're asking, now what? Now what do we do? Listen, can I confidently tell you this? The vision for your life, the mission for your life is still the same. The vision for our church, the mission for our church is still the same. But because of what's happened, plans have changed. Strategies have changed. It's time to pivot. It's time to pivot. Listen, we may be a scattered church right now, but that does not mean we can't make a difference. Matter of fact, in the book of Acts, the church, when it got scattered, it had even greater impact. I believe just like that church hit unexpected crisis and it forced them to pivot, it's just now our turn. It's us. It's our time to pivot, to pivot. Now, check this out. In chapter 13 of Acts, I'm gonna again, right there in verse one, I want you to see, because we're gonna see where some of that scattered, some of the people scattered to. And we're gonna pick up right here in chapter 13, and we're gonna find out that they're in a place called Antioch, Antioch. And so let's go there. Acts chapter 13, verse one. It says, now in the church at Antioch, there were prophets and teachers, Now, Luke, being a guy of details, he's about to give us some names and some descriptions of the leaders of this church in Antioch. He starts off first with the name Barnabas. Barnabas, who we already picked up with earlier in the story. And then he introduces us to a guy named Simeon, also called Niger. Now, he's giving a description there to let us know a little bit more about who this guy is and that he is from the continent of Africa. 
And then the next name, we get a guy named Lucius of Cyrene, also a place in North Africa. And then there's this name, uh, uh, Minoan. I don't know if I'm saying that right, but I'm gonna be confident with it. Minoan, uh, who had been brought up by Herod, the Tertarch, and then he gives us a final name, a guy named Saul, who will next chapter become Paul. Now, while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work which I have called them. And after they had fasted and prayed, the group huddled around them, they placed their hands on them, and they sent them off. Now, here's what I want you to check out. The church began in Jerusalem, and it now scattered all the way up, 300 miles north, to a place called Antioch in a country of Syria. Now, I want you to see this because the church went from a rural Palestinian area to now moving in to an urban international city that's called Antioch. Let's just even give you a locale of this. And I know our map, I want you to see Jerusalem right down here, come on, where the Jewish people were having this church. And because of what broke out, this diaspora moved them all the way up to a new place of Antioch. Now, why is that key? Well, something has shifted. There's a pivot that's happened in the church. You see, when the church was down here, it was centered really around the Jewish nation, around the Jewish people, and Peter was the leader. But now the new center of the movement of the church has moved upward to Antioch, and this is where we're gonna see this gospel go out in a new direction. And now the new leader is a guy named Paul. Now, as we know these details, I want us to see this because this, this church of Antioch is marked by something powerful. And I want you to see this because, because the gospel and the church is on the move and this church is gonna be the example of what that move will be. I wanna give you three words real quick that describes this church and what I believe God has a heart for church today Thousands of years later, here's the first description. This church was multi-ethnic. The reason I paused on those names and shared where those people were from is I wanted you to see this urban international city is now being represented in this body of Christ. I wanted you to see how diverse was part of the DNA of this church that's gonna reach the world for Christ. The next word behind that is multi-generational. Now, I didn't give you this part, but if you back up one more verse behind this, you're gonna see a name of a guy named John Mark. We know that he's a lot younger. He's that, come on, that millennial to Paul, so to speak. And he's the one that's gonna, he's gonna go with them on their first missionary journey. But there's a relationship between Barnabas and his connection to John Mark. And, and there's this, this age difference within the body of Christ, but it's, it's gonna be helpful to help this church to relate, to connect, and to go forward in the mission. And then the last word I want you to see is this church was mission-shaped. Come on, it's gonna send out missionaries, but this church is a missionary church. Can, can you see this and appreciate this? A church that's multi-ethnic, multi-generational, and mission-shaped. That's the church of Antioch. 
Well, today I'm gonna pivot in this message and we're gonna, we're gonna have an interview that I'm gonna share with you that I think is gonna challenge and encourage. Check this out. Well, hey, speaking of pivot, today, Mount Family, I wanted to pivot in my message to introduce you to a modern day version of what I believe is the Church of Antioch, Transformation Church down in South Carolina, pastored by Pastor Derwin Gray. And to tell you a little bit about Transformation Church, it's located just south of Charlotte, down in Indian land, South Carolina. Pastor Derwin Gray is a husband to Vicki, also a father, two amazing kids. Uh, I know I, I watched a little bit of that on social media too. You got a great athletic family as well. And then on top of that, uh, former NFL player, as you can see the jersey in the back, uh, as well as an author, a speaker. And what I love, he's a leader in a multi-ethnic church movement. Uh, he has written many books, Limitless Life, The HD Leader. I love Hero. It's been a great devotional read. And his most recent book, The Good Life. Uh, he writes a weekly blog called Marinate This. And Pastor, I know you recently talked to two of our amazing ladies on our team, Katie Hawkins and Susan Wander on their podcast, She Speaks. And uh, what they commented on is how I'm going to lead into the vision of Transformation Church is to be multi-ethnic, multi-generational, a mission-shaped community that loves God completely, ourselves correctly, and others compassionately. Welcome to the Mount, Pastor, Pastor Dr. Derwin Gray. Hey, Pastor Todd, thank you so much for having me, man. And thank you for the incredibly kind words. God is amazingly gracious. And I know we have been trying to connect for years because we have a mutual brother in, in Clayton King, and both of us love him and respect him. And I've heard about the great things that God has done in you and the church that you lead. And so it's an honor and privilege uh, for me to, to be with you. You, you know, when when you talk about the vision of Transformation Church, right? Um, in essence, all we've done is taken the great commandment, love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbors, you love yourself. So if you look at that, that makes a cross. So we say upward, love your neighbor as you love yourself, inward, outward. So it makes a cross. And then mission-shaped is shaped by the great commission. Go, therefore, make disciples of all ethnic groups, not just people across the sea, but your neighbors across the street. And so we are motivated by the mission of G Jesus. So for us, worship, discipleship, and mission are triune, just as God is Father, Son, and Spirit. And so the way we say the Great Commandment and the Great Commission is we are a multi-ethnic, multi-generational, mission-shaped community then that way you have this continual cycle of discipleship, of worship, and mission. And, you know, we don't do it perfectly. No one does, but I'm very grateful for what God has been able to do in us and through us. That's good. That's good. I, yeah, you're right. You mentioned a mutual friend, Clayton King. Many years ago, I was bringing students down to Crossroads, and you were one of the discipleship breakout classes. And I always loved sitting in there and listening and, and learning from you then. And I tried several times to get you to do some men's events for us, but you were at the early stages of birthing Transformation Church, and you loved us enough to say, Pastor, I got I to gotta do well here laying foundation, and I can't be gone on weekends, and I need to really focus here. So I'm grateful that we get this time together. Well, listen, I know another connection we have. We're Texans. Uh, I actually grew up in Irving, Texas, 
right in the shadow of Texas Stadium, which everybody yeah. loves that here at this church. Uh, <laughs> but the other thing is I went to Nimitz High School, and I know you oh, yeah. went to the powerhouse, Converse Justin down in San Antonio, Texas. So there's a little bit of connection there. Now, yes, what's been ex- kind of interesting for me and knowing you come from really a, a, a non-Christian background, yet you were introduced early on with as Jehovah Witness, and then you end up going to play football at BYU, come on, in the Mormon country. And then on top of that, you move into the NFL before you even become a follower of Jesus Christ. And then the, the detail of that was half-naked preacher, and I'm just going to leave it like that. So how do you have yeah. that kind of background, man? Yeah, you, you know, it's one of these things when you try to tell people about how God drew me unto himself, it's like something that you would make up. So I grew up in a hood. Uh, grew up, my parents were were 16 and 17. They were young. So my grandmother primarily raised me. Not really a spiritual background, but my grandmother did have kind of a quasi Jehovah's Witness kind of thing, but they kicked her out because she would smoke and cuss. And so she just became kind of her one woman denomination type of thing. <laughs> but, but like we never prayed together, those, those types of things. So at age 13, I was like, football is my way out. And so I worked hard, got good, went to Judson, great coaches. Um, They were Christian coaches. I had no idea. I just knew I wanted to be like them. Get a football scholarship to BYU. So you got a kid who grew up in a multi-ethnic environment going to BYU, which is very, very diverse. It's uh, multiple shades of whiteness. Uh, <laughs> um, and so, but I end up meeting my wife second semester, my freshman year. We've been together for 30 years. We just celebrated our 28th anniversary. I have a great career there. Everything's going great. I get to the NFL and it's like, I made it. But three years in, it was like, there's got to be more to life than this. Um, the money, the fame, the status, the job, the career couldn't fix the, 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 where we really live is in the heart, not the muscle, but the deep parts of who we are. And I tried to fix what was wrong inside by my external accomplishments and it didn't work. Uh, in 1993, when I was drafted by the Colts, there was a guy on the team, his name was Steve Grant, but his nickname was the naked preacher. He literally after practice would take a shower, dry off wrap a towel around his waist, and he would share Christ. And I asked the veterans on the team, I was like, what's up with the half-naked black man walking around talking about, do you know Jesus? They said, don't pay no attention to him. That's the naked preacher. So literally, uh, I came to faith through the consistent witness, both in word and in deed, uh, the naked preacher. It was a five-year process on August 2nd, 1997 in a small dorm room in Anderson, Indiana, my fifth year in the NFL at training camp, I called my wife on the phone and I said, I want to be more committed to you and I want to be committed to Jesus. And when I said that, I literally felt the, I felt the regeneration. I felt being born again. I, and I wept and I cried for like three days and I have never gotten over how much God loves me. And he displayed that in Christ. And my wife also came to faith a few months before me through the witness of a woman at her job. And so what I say to Transformation Church and what I would say to the community that you lead as well is that everybody's a missionary and you don't you don't you don't have to have the right words. You just have to be available. God does not need your ability. He needs your 
availability and you can be a part of leading people to Jesus. That's so good. That's so good. Well, listen, I know this is where we're going to pivot in this conversation because obviously when you look at the context of what we're seeing uh, in our country in this last recent days, is it's been hard uh, to say the least. And I know the tragedy of the death of George Floyd has reverberated literally all around, not just our country, but around the world. And we have seen protests that have been peaceful uh, by many, but we've also seen riots by some. And then we've seen endless posts out there on social media and everybody's thinking, everybody's feeling, everybody's talking at lots of different levels. Uh, I wonder for you uh, as a pastor, uh, here in the culture that you're in, as well as just being a husband and a father, how has this personally affected you, what has taken place? And then how are you leading your home and how are you leading as a pastor your church during these unsettled kind of times in people's hearts and lives and spirits? Yeah. You know, the first thing that I want to say is I want to say thank you to my white brothers and sisters in Christ uh, because this is the first time that I have seen white brothers and sisters in Christ become advocates, at least verbally, posting, talking, protesting. And I have never seen that to this degree. So that I'm happy about. And on the flip side, I'm sad about it too, because it took a video of a policeman having his knee on George Floyd's neck for white Christians to go, hey, I think we actually believe you now. So on that end, I'm going, when your brothers and sisters have been saying there's a problem, and this isn't the first bit, bit, bit video of this type of thing happening, that it's like, man, I'm glad you're with us now. And this can't be, I've just posted something and I'm done. This is a central gospel issue. In my brand new book, The Good Life, which is on the Beatitudes, uh, chapter eight is called Happy Are the Peacemakers because blessed are the peacemakers. And I open up with the story of Rodney King and police brutality. So people go, Derwin, I can't believe that happened to George Floyd. I'm going, why can't you believe it? It's been happening. Like this isn't, um, it, it's, it's just now with smartphones, it's being captured. Like as a 49 year old uh, black man, who's 22% European, by the way, I did a DNA test. <laughs> um, there's never not been a time where there has not been animosity and fear and a lack of trust and police brutality in the black community. First and foremost, we love the men and women in blue. Uh, Transformation Church has gotten awards from the Charlotte Mecklenburg Police Department. We do things for the Indian Land Police Department. So it's not an issue of bashing men and women in blue. It is an issue of saying when there is injustice in a position where you're called to protect and to serve, those types of people need to be rooted out. They need to be persecuted. And, and so it's been one of these things that like, even in my own neighborhood, which is a nice neighborhood, I don't go jogging at night. Like it's not even a thought for me to ever go jogging at night or go walking at night. And you're going, well, why? Well, mistaken identity. Even when I'm jogging and if I see 
a white person, I analyze their body language to make sure, because as you know, you could be in Central Park breaking the rules and a black man tell you to follow the rules and you threaten him with, we're going to, I'm going to call the police and tell him it's a black man. And then just recently in Georgia, we had a youth pastor who was soliciting sex on Craigslist, get arrested in a hotel. And he says, I was kidnapped by two black men. And so that's what we mean by systemic and cultural racism, that the color of your skin and culture can be weaponized against you. And oftentimes there's a suspicion and lack of trust without evidence. And so um, the way we're leading through here at Transformation Church is this is a normal rhythm for us because we don't talk about racism and prejudice and injustice just when something bad ha takes place. As a New Testament scholar, the Bible is replete, is filled with these types of issues. And my challenge is, particularly to white pastors, is you have to disciple your people through this. This isn't a once in a lifetime talk. It's all throughout the New Testament. Jesus was a Jewish man in a occupied country by Romans. Jesus talked about Samaritans. There was a 400 year war between the Samaritans. That's racial, that's cultural, that's ethnic. There's so, I have had people say, well, pastor, why do you preach from the Bible so, or, or, or why do you preach about race so much? And I, I said, well, okay, let's don't talk about race. So the Israelites are not Jewish. They were not in slavery in Egypt. They didn't have to deal with the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Zebubites. And by the way, they got taken off by the Babylonians. And let's talk about the Romans. Um, and let's talk about the Scythians, the barbarians, and all the <laughs> other Gentiles. By the way, we have no more Bible left. Yeah. Yeah. We, 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 we literally have no more Bible left. And so what I'm calling for is deeper theology. What I'm calling for is understanding that often we have allowed a racialized culture in Fox News TV or to the far left, MSNBC, to disciple Christians better than pulpits have. Wow, yeah, that's true. Well, man, let, let in right toward this next question I wanted to sh ask for you. It's this, is, you know, like Transformation Church, maybe not to the same uh, scale, but we are also growing as a multi-ethnic, multi-generational church. And we're located uh, right on I-95 uh, here in Stafford and also in Fredericksburg. Uh, Stafford is about 40 miles south, right here in Virginia, south of Washington, D.C. Uh, we're right next door to Quantico. Uh, to kind of let you know our flavor of our, our folks that we're reaching. Uh, we're right next to them. It was the home of the Marine Corps, as well as the, the training center of the FBI. In moments of racial brokenness, this reveals that, that reveals this kind of pain, this kind of divide. I'll just go ahead and confess to you, man, as, as a white pastor, loving the congregation that I get to lead, I sometimes struggle with how to lead during these, these moments because I feel the tension and the divide on, on the side, yet I love my people. And, and I, I le lean in on the scriptures that say, you know, if one part of the body is suffering and hurting, then all of us should lean in and suffer along and lead through this together. Um, but, but I find myself at times saying, I don't want to say the wrong thing. I don't want to hurt people. I want to, I want to lead people to truth and gospel and Jesus. Yet in this, I'm even listening to our younger generation who 
they're, they have an expectation right now on them of, you've got to do something. What are you going to do? And, and I see these kids that love the diversity of living here in the Northern Virginia area, love their friends that are diverse, but yet they don't know what to do or what to say. And they're in this tension. How would you speak that first to me, coach me as a pastor, but then maybe even that younger generation, how do we help them know how to navigate these days? You know, uh, the first thing that I would say, because I've, I've had a lot of my white brothers and sisters say, Derwin, I'm not black. And I go, no, duh. <laughs> they go, well, I don't, I don't know what to do. And so the first thing I, I say is Jesus was Jewish. And he didn't go, well, I'm not Gentile, so I don't know how to love. You know, Jesus didn't say, hey, I'm not going to die for the sins of the world because uh, I'm not a Gentile. Yeah. So love says we have humanity in commonality. And if we are brothers and sisters in Christ, there's a deeper love there because the same blood that flows through Christ redemptively now flows through us. Secondly, what I say is I've never been transgender. But that doesn't mean I should not love and stand up for the rights of people who are transgender. I may not agree with how they choose to use their sexual preference um, from a biblical perspective, but as a Christian, I'm called to love my neighbor as myself, meaning I can love you without agreeing with you, but also advocate on your behalf that if you're being taken advantage of, if you're being mistreated, if you're being abused, our common humanity allows me to say, no, that's wrong. Injustice anywhere is injustice everywhere. And this is what it really comes down to. It's the outward part. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. And this is a question that I'm at asking folks, think about how black men are treated in the United States of America. Now, I'm not, I'm, I'm not saying Jay-Z, LeBron James, I'm talking about black men in at-risk areas. Think about how they're treated and then ask yourself, would I wanna change places with them? If the answer is no, then we need to get to work creating a kingdom on earth, even for unbelievers to have the overflow of our grace, to create a, a, a space and to create lives where we go, yeah, I would switch places with, with, with you because I'm fighting for a just society. Now, understanding that it's never going to be a fully just society until the new heavens and the new earth comes. But the gospel, the good news of Jesus moves us to that. And my biggest struggle is helping people move beyond a Western reductionistic view of the gospel, which Jesus died for my sins, God was pissed, and he took, he, he, he took it out on Christ, and then he rose, he rose again, so God's not mad at you anymore. There's so much bigger. Not, not only does the, blo the blood of Christ first and foremost sets us free from sin and death. The blood of Christ forgives us of sins and it gives us a family with different colored skins. The blood of Christ, according to the apostle Paul says in Ephesians 2, 13 through 16, creates a new humanity that literally the church is the offspring of Abraham the family that God promised him. And if my brother or sister is hurting because we share the same blood in Christ, then I hurt too. I advocate on them. So we have to move be, be beyond, well, I'm not a racist to, no, 
I'm anti-racist because I follow Christ Jesus. And so the advocacy first and foremost begins in the local church. Just like in Antioch, Acts chapter 13, Antioch was the church. Okay, y'all, re, re, y'all, oh man, I, I love this. <laughs> I'm getting excited. Go, go. The first time Christians were called Christians yes. is in the church at Antioch. And this is why they were called Christians. Your religious perspective formed your identity in the ancient world. Jews no longer went to the temple, nor did they say, they they basically said Jesus is Yahweh, that he's king. So the Jews were like, we don't know what to do with y'all. And then the Gentiles gave up their idols and they began to follow Jesus as well. So as a term of, we don't know what to do with these folks, so we're going to call them Christians. <laughs> so the term Christian was birthed out of a Jew Gentile multi-ethnic church. This is basic Christianity. And when I share this around the country, pastors go, wow, why didn't I learn this in seminary? And I'm going, I don't know, but you need to get your money back. (laughs) So it was, it was at that church in Antioch. And here's some other stuff too, is the, the city of Antioch was divided into 18 different boroughs. The Roman government said, look, the only way we can control these folks is if we divide them and separate them. So that city was divided by different 18 different boroughs for the 18 ethnic groups that were there. And it was the church in Antioch that broke down those walls and created this incredible, beautiful church. Also, Antioch is where the Apostle Paul went to learn multi-ethnic church because Barnabas, the son of encouragement, who, by the way, was a Jew, but from Cyprus. And so he was a Cypriot Jewish man, right? So he went to go get Saul of Tarsus and brought him to Antioch for a year to teach him how to do multi-ethnic ministry. Awesome. That is awesome. And And you're laying foundation for what we're going to walk through in this whole pivot series this next uh, several weeks together. Hey, let me do this. The good life, man, it gets launched during COVID of all times, but I'm telling you, it couldn't be more on time. And even as you referenced there, that chapter on Peacemaker is money in terms of the conversation that's real time right now in what we're experiencing this last seven days in in our country. You know, when I think about the Beatitudes, uh, I, I started the year with the Beatitudes. That's how we began our year. I could have read your book before I, I preached this series. I got to go back and preach it again now, man. <laughs> Do it, man. Do it. <laughs> but with The Peacemaker, you did open up with the Rodney King example. And what's interesting to me, I was a senior at Stephen F. Austin out in Nacogdoches, Texas, when I was watching that. Yeah. In real time, on the TV, standing next to my brother that played on the football team at Stephen F. Austin, uh, Tracy, and he's he's a black man, and, and I'm standing next to him. We're watching in real time events what was happening in, out in Los Angeles during that time. And then you went off that quote, "Can't we all get along?" Because that's what he said. Uh, but then you said in your book, "Man, we can't." And, and then you led into this idea of peacemaker. Explain what you mean, we can't. And then also in there, you talked about the spiritual DNA that we gain. 
because he says, blessed are the peacemaker for you will be called children of God. And then you ask these incredible questions to say, are you a peacemaker? And you went through a litany of things to, to do some introspection. And I went, wow, those in themselves may reveal some things about our heart as well. Yeah. So in essence, what I did is I simply take you through the words of Christ. Like he opens the world's greatest sermon with what we, for, what, what we call as the Beatitudes. And he preached it over the Sea of Galilee on a hill. And he opens with blessed. He uses the word blessed and describes eight characteristics. And those eight characteristics of a blessed person, the word bless is makaros in Greek, and it literally means happy. So a happy person does not look like what we think is happiness. A happy person actually looks like a person who is holy. And so our happiness is not predicated upon externals, it's predicated upon internals. And so Jesus says, happy are the peacemakers for they will be called children of God. So my children look like me, they have my DNA. Well, if you want to know if you are a child of God, then peacemaking is one of the ways that you know that. And peacemaking is not passive. When Jesus made peace on the cross, which is reconciliation, he went into conflict. Peacemaking is sacrificial. It is engaging in conflict with love. Jesus advocated on behalf of humanity. The Bible says that Jesus is our great advocate. And so as a result of being infused with his DNA, we begin to become peacemakers as well. I promise you that many in your congregation, just like many in mine, have family members who make racial comments and for years they've said nothing. Well, the silence ends now. To say nothing means to be complicit. To leave someone in hate and ignorance is a betrayal of the gospel. You need to speak up. Wow. And particularly if a person is not a follower, if a person is a follower of Christ, you really need to jack them up because they're jacking up the witness of Christ. And you do it with love. You do it with, with respect. But peacemaking also means this. Am I willing to listen? And for so long, I have felt like as African-American Christians, our white Christian brothers and sisters have not wanted to listen. For example, if someone says Black Lives Matter, listen, I'm not a proponent of the Black Lives Matter movement that's negative, but I am a proponent of saying, yes, all lives matter, but in our country, Black lives have mattered less. And if you don't believe that, let's just look at history. Oftentimes, black men are pictured as violent and angry. Guys, it wasn't black men that brought slaves to the United States and enslaved them. It wasn't black men that conquered America from indigenous people groups and wiped them out. Those are some serious conversations. Now, I know people are going to go, well, Derwin, I didn't do that. Well, let me ask you this. Have you benefited from that? And so when you understand, no, I didn't do it, but I've benefited from that, as a follower of Jesus, you go, you know what? I personally was not involved, 
But how now can I change a culture that supported that and allowed that? Um, when you look at the civil rights, which was led by Dr. King, and many of those people were strong, orthodox, Bible-believing Christians, including one of my mentors, the great John Perkins. White evangelicals were missing. Uh, for my doctoral research and in some of my books, even my newest book, oftentimes issues of justice for black people and minorities were considered a distraction from the gospel. That could be the furthest thing from the truth. And so a part of our discipleship and a part of our growing is being willing to listen and learn and please turn off the cable news. Man, and, and hear my heart. Listen, I don't care how a person votes as long as you understand that we're not the party of the elephant. We're not the party of the, uh, 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 of the donkey. We're the party of the lamb. But I remember a time when the Republican Party was about family values, fiscal responsibility, compassionate conservatism. And in, and in four years, that I don't even hear that anymore. Like, where did that go? Where did morality go? Where, where, what happened to all that stuff? And so <clears throat> as Black Christians, we're looking going, huh, Wow. So is this more about power and a way of life than it is the power of the kingdom through life, <clears throat> which is a life of wrapping a towel around your waist and being sacrificial because Jesus did do that. If we read the Sermon on the Mount, this book right here, The Good Life, I take you, I am a New Testament scholar, but I write in a way that an eight-year-old can understand. If we read through this, it will soften our hearts and crush our idols and make us more beautiful as a people. That is beautiful. Listen, Pastor, today has been so good talking and listening with you. And, and I just love how kingdom-centered and gospel-focused you are as a pastor and also as a leader. And, and I just believe, even as I listen today, it pushes us to listen. It pushes our perspective. And, and I know that today there's going to be people in our church that are going to go, wait a minute, whoa. And I just pr I pray the Holy Spirit would marinate the conversation that we're having today. And we would go back into the truth of the gospel and say, what does it look like to be underneath the kingdom of God and living the gospel out and loving Jesus vertically and being connected there, but also it, it impacting my horizontal and the way I live this thing out. But I know this. It's going to force us all to step past some comforts. I think that's vital to hearing. I think that's vital to connecting with somebody that is racially and ethnically different than us. And that's going to take us having to sacrifice our comfort to get there oftentimes. I wonder this, if we could end with something, what are some practical things that we can do as a faith community and as a church to really move toward healing, but also toward real change? Yeah. Okay. So the, so the first thing is I have an entire chapter with just some basic steps, right? So uh, I want you guys to go by the book. All the proceeds go to needy children. Their last name is Gray. They're my <laughs> <own children. laughs> um, so on a serious note, right? <clears throat> we have to develop a theology of ethnic reconciliation. And that theology is the gospel. The gospel, Jesus is the saving king. He 
redeems a people of every nation, tribe, and tongue to be his family here on earth. That is our first allegiance. My first allegiance is not to the 75% black in me and the 22% European in me. Wait, that ain't right. 25% European in me, <laughs> concussion moment, right? My allegiance first and foremost is to Jesus, which means I'm human centric and I want what's best. I'm not for violent protest. Violent protest is evil, it's impractical. And if you live by the sword, you die by the sword, okay? Secondly, pastors doing what you're doing, learning a theology and that this becomes a normal rhythm of preaching and teaching and discipleship in your church. Three, building, what does your dinner table look like? <clears throat> For my doctoral uh, thesis, I did research and 75% of white Americans only basically have friends that are white Americans. And so their perspective is like this. So when you begin to expand your perspective, and that's why the military, I think, does a great job. That's why sports teams do a great job is because, li li listen, when you're in war and the enemy's trying to kill you, you don't care what color your, your uh, dude is that has your back or woman that has your back. And something about that level of intimacy breaks those walls down. That's good. Jesus already did that. So build authentic relationships and don't go into it paternalistic. That's a big word, but it means, well, I'm going to help them. No, go with a servant's talent and say, will you teach me? I want to learn. But then speak up, speak out, be anti-racist, meaning you check it, you stop it, you be light and darkness. And then lastly is don't play into the political rhetoric on the left and the right. Do I vote? Yes, I vote because it's important. And too many of my people died and were lynched and dogs let loose on them by policemen just to have their American right to vote. I vote, but I understand that my vote ultimately is about the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. I am a citizen of heaven first and foremost. I love my country, right? Um, but don't play into all the Facebook hate and, and all the anger. Be peacemakers. That's good. That's good. Pastor, would you just maybe close us in prayer in this conversation? And I hope this is first of many. And one of these days, you're going you're gonna to come live. And I can't wait for you to get to meet our church. And I, I know they're going to embrace you. And it's going to be an amazing time together. But we know this. At the end of the day, if there's somebody sitting here watching with us this day, which we know many people are out there watching, we realize the greatest need in our life, it's the heart issue. And uh, we want people to know that Jesus came not to reform us and reform our lives. He came to transform us. If I could borrow that title from your church, he came to transform us from the inside out. And yes. would you just pray us in that direction? Yes. Uh, Holy Spirit, I pray that the heart of what was communicated was heard. I pray that your grace would push us beyond our comfort zones to love because when the capacity of our hearts to love grows, we grow. Loving people is an act of worship. And so Lord, as we talked about these issues, let's, let's go back to the origin and the source that Jesus and what he did at the church at Antioch is what he can do in us and through us. May we as the church display the beauty 
of ethnic reconciliation because of the power of the blood of Jesus, that the barriers have been knocked down by the blood of Jesus, and that the power of his resurrection bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, brothers and sisters of every nation, tribe, and tongue. Bless us, O oh God, to be a blessing. I thank you for my friend, Pastor Todd. I thank you for his wonderful congregation. I thank you for Transformation Church. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Hey, thank you, Mount Ararat, for your courage to listen and to receive a challenging conversation today. Hey, listen, anytime we tackle something that has passed and has pain, it's, it's always gonna bring emotion. And here's what my prayer is for us as a church, no matter where you sit in this conversation, is that we will always be teachable unto the Lord. We'll always have our hearts open to him and to his truth in the word, even when it pushes us. Listen again to what it says here in Acts chapter 13, verse two, because it's how God speaks. It's how God speaks to this church that I think is so key to the story. Look what it says once again, right here in verse two. It says, while they were worshiping, while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work which I have called them. And after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and they sent them off. Can I show you just really quick? God speaks to his church when they are worshiping, when they are fasting, and when they are praying. And we get an example here that God's speaking to this multi-ethnic church, this multi-generational church, this mission-shaped church. And I believe this, and I'll say it again, that every Christian is a missionary because we all have a mission field that God is sending us to. And every Jesus-centered church is a missionary church. We ought to be going out and making a difference in the world that we live in. It's not just about loving God, it's about loving our neighbor as ourself. And I believe at times, God has to scatter the church to make the church move. What is God wanting to do in us? What is God trying to say to us? Can I give you three quick things that I believe God wants to say to us today based on the great commandment? It's this, God is calling us to love him completely, to love ourselves correctly, and to love others compassionately. Come on, can we say it again? Can you see it again? God has called us to love God completely, to love ourselves correctly, and to love others. Come on, to love our neighbors compassionately. It's what the church has been called to. It's what a Christian has been called to. You, you know the weight of these days, what makes these days very heavy is that we've been doing a lot of listening. We've been doing a lot of struggling. We've been doing a lot of processing at the cultural level. And that's heavy. That's weighty. We're trying to, to solve it all right here at a cultural level. 
And I'm just here to tell you the real problem is not a cultural thing. The real problem is not, the real solution is not even a cultural thing. It's a spiritual thing. Listen, we can be about reform and we can try to reform someone's attitudes. We can try to reform someone's actions, but I'm just here to tell you real change is not in reform, it's in transform. It's in transformation. And that's exactly what Jesus wants to do in the heart of people. He wants to change us. He wants to transform us so that we can be agents of that transformation. Do you see this? Do you understand this? Listen, I wanna ask it this way. How is your heart right now? Does Jesus, does he have your heart, Christian? Have you pulled back? Have you pulled away? Have you pushed back, pushed away because of all the pain that you're currently going through? This is the very hour we need to trust Jesus with everything, our fears, our concerns, our hurts, our past, our present, even the fears of our future. We gotta believe, we gotta trust. Or maybe here's the question for you today, wherever you're watching from, do you have a relationship with Jesus? Today, you could begin with him. And here's what the Bible tells us. In Jesus, you and I will be set apart. We'll be set apart so that we can love God completely, so that we can love ourselves correctly, so that we can love others compassionately. Would you pray with me? God, I wanna thank you for the day that we've just experienced together. And God, I'll be the first one to admit, I, I struggled with some of the things I heard today. I don't even know if I agree with everything I heard today, but what I do know, God, is that you're my God and I trust you. And in these days of uncertainty, you are rock solid. God, today for your church, I pray that we would continue to gather in this way so that we can be scattered to the places and to the people that you want us to bring the hope of Jesus Christ to. God, this isn't the year we had planned, but I love that you're the author of life, even in life's interruptions. And so God, I pray that your church would have the courage to pivot, even though it's gonna push us into areas of great discomfort for our outlook and our perspective, and even in our obedience. God, you want to do something. You want to do it through us. May we not be afraid. May we take a step of faith. And may we continue to trust you as our Lord and Savior. But God, I want to pray for the one that's about to begin right here today with you. Come on, who am I talking to right out there today? Would you just look up right now at me? Come on, right now today. You want to say yes to Jesus. You want to begin with him. So would you give your life to him right now? Talk to him. That's what prayer is. Say this. Say, God, you are speaking to my life. You are meeting me in my pain. I realize today I need Jesus to save me and to change me to transform me from the inside out. Thank you, Jesus, for your perfect love. 
thank you for setting me apart. I am now yours. In Jesus' name I pray.